0: forgot about that third verse. Good morning. I want to once again join with everyone else in welcoming you this morning, whether you're uh, here physically or digitally, we are happy that you're joining us this morning. Um, I want to remind you, uh, Hunter was talking this morning about volunteers, and uh, there are a lot of opportunities for that. Um, But Uh, Right now, coming up, uh, Heather wanted me to remind you about LTC. LTC is Leadership Training for Christ, if you've never been familiar with that. It is kind of like a... uh, a, a UIL church tournament. Um, it's a weird description, but but there's a lot of events that kids participate in. And so first of all, if uh, if you're a kid and you haven't signed up for that yet, um, see Heather, talk to her. Um, they can get you signed up. You want to be a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And some of you may think, well, I, I don't know if I can afford it. Don't worry about that. Don't let money keep you from it. We want you to participate. and We'll find a way to make that happen. Um, you may not think, well, I don't know if I can go to the 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 tournament well don't worry about that that's fine there are events that you can participate in and you do not have to travel um so there are there are lots of opportunities we want you to be a part of that it's going to be a great experience conversely with that if you are an adult and you've been thinking about how you can get involved how you can share some of your gifts and talents we need uh teachers coaches uh uh sponsors uh you name it And so you think, well, I don't know anything about whatever. Well, that's okay. We'll show you what to do, or we just need you to come and and help uh, however the the help is needed. And so Heather has a job for you, I promise. Um, You want to uh, see her. Are there there sign-ups at the Hub? Sign-ups at the Hub. Get out there and get uh, checked in on that. Fellas, I've been asked to remind you of Brothers in Christ. Um, that is our uh, monthly men's meeting. That's going to be this Tuesday right here uh, at 6 o'clock p.m. Is that correct, Jason? 6 o'clock p.m. right here at the building. Uh, if, if you are a man, um, we would love for you to be here and be a part of that. Oh, it's next week. That's what I said. That's what I said. I meant next Tuesday. Um, Y'all knew what I meant. The 25th. I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun and rushing things. Um, Hang around after worship this morning. We're going to have our annual corporate meeting. That's one of those hoops that the the state makes us jump through, or federal. Somebody makes us jump through it, and we have to. But it'll be a good opportunity for you. We're going to talk about uh, the state of the church, where we're at, where we're going. Some of those kind of things will be a lot of fun. So this morning we're going to get into our new series, Day 41, where we're talking about um, how to move out of the 40 days that we've been in. If if you're like most people, you feel like we've been in a time of testing, a time of struggle, um, a, a, a time of trial, whatever words you want to use. For 40 days, we that's a a period that always appears in Scripture. Um, and, and for 40 days, uh, that happens a lot. We're going to look at a bunch of different options, a bunch of different uh, uh, markers of 40 days. Um, this morning, I want to tell you a story about Elise. Elise was a young teacher. She was uh, just out of college, and she and, uh, First teaching job, and she was beyond excited. Um, she was uh, teaching in uh, in an elementary, uh, upper elementary school, and uh, she loved everything about it. She loved the lesson planning. She loved the the coming to work. She loved the the, the hokey dress up days. She loved the the kids, and she loved the games and the activities and the noise, and and she just loved everything about teaching and uh, it was going really great. She was in a school that served a local children's hospital, and uh, as part of her duties, she was uh, from time to time assigned to go to this hospital and offer services to students that were, for some reason, in the hospital. And so her first trip She uh, got all her stuff together and she went to the hospital and she was supposed to see a young man who was a a boy who who was uh, in the hospital, nine-year-old, and as she got there, she's met by a rather tired, frazzled, uh, grumpy-looking nurse, And, and she tells her why she's here, what she's doing, and the nurse says, well, good luck. He doesn't respond to anybody. Now, Elise is a little bit nervous. Because she's never done this before. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to interact with students like this. But she goes in and and quietly walks into the hospital room. It's quiet except for the the beep and whirl of all the little machines that are going on in there. And there in the bed is this small body of this nine-year-old boy. Elise walks up beside the bed and she says, "Jose, my name is my name is uh, Miss Atchison. I am. Uh, I've been sent here to uh, help you with your studies." No response. Well, Jose, we're, we're, I, I, I've been sent to uh, help you learn while you're here. And so uh, she reached around, pulled up a chair, and sat down. If if it's okay with you, we're just going to do a little study. And we're going to study nouns and verbs. Do you know what nouns and verbs are? No response. So for the next 30 minutes, Elise talked about nouns and verbs while the young man laid in the bed and stared at the ceiling. She left feeling dejected, feeling like a failure, wondering if she did any good at all. Same nurse met her on the way out, said, don't worry about that, honey. He's that way with everybody. It's not a big deal. So Elise went back to school, but Jose plagued her mind. She couldn't get him off of her mind. And she was, she was worried about him, and she thought about him a lot, and, and she prayed about him, and, and she, was, she was conflicted with how in the world she was going to get through to this kid. A week later, she was supposed to go back, and as she walked into the hospital, she was once again met with the same nurse, except this time her eyes were wide in astonishment. She was excited, and she said, I don't know what you did. And Elise says, I, I I don't know what I did either. She says, Well, ever since you came last week, this kid is totally different. What did you do? And she said, I did nothing. I did a lesson. He stared at the ceiling. I don't think I did anything. She walked into the hospital room, and there, sitting in the bed, was Jose. Playing on an iPad while SpongeBob played on the TV, and the 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 blink and whirl of all the monitors was was drowned out by his laughter. Different kid. She pulled up her chair. He says, "Hi, hi, Teach. I'm glad you're back." She says, "Jose, but last time I was here, you were what? What happened?" He said, "Well, when you came." I I thought I was never going to get out of here. But then you came and sat and talked to me, and I figured they wouldn't send somebody to teach nouns and verbs to a dying kid. And it changed his life because of that little glimmer of hope. Because hope makes all the difference. When when we are in a place where we don't feel like we have hope, it, it, it tears us down. That's when the 40 days or, or, or the, the wilderness, if you will, is is at its worst. There's, there's a, a lot of studies about hope, and I don't want to bore you with those things this morning, but the American Psychology Association defines hope as the expectation that one will have positive experiences or that a potentially threatening or negative situation will not materialize or will ultimately result in a favorable state of affairs. Now, that's convoluted. Too many of us think of hope as just this, uh, this warm, fuzzy feeling. We, we have a tendency to think of hope as, as like Christmas morning, you know? I hope I get such and such under the tree, or I hope that's what's in that package. But, but there's more to hope than just that. There's more to hope than just this, this immature, naive idea. It, hope, hope for a lot of us is still stuck there, that it's fleeting, that it's, 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 uh, it's here and then it's gone. That hope is not something that we can hold on to. Many of us associate hope with childhood, with immaturity. That, that we don't hope a lot anymore as we get into adulthood because it's just not something that grown-ups do. Some of us have been in the darkness so long that it's hard to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm hoping we can find a different perspective. Because hope is one of the first keys to day 41. When we want to step outside of the 40 days, when we want to step outside of the wilderness, we have to start with hope. Hope is, is what's going to open the door. Hope is what's going to move us apart from, from being where we have always been. There are a number of long-term studies that have analyzed the difference between high-risk patients who survive and and those who don't. The results are startling. Over a 10-year span, it turns out that the one factor most strongly predictive of of suicide in high-risk mental patients was not how sick the person was, not how many symptoms they exhibited, not physical pain or suffering. It was simply hope whether they had hope of a future or not. The, the man without hope, the woman without hope, is the likeliest candidate. See, we can't live without hope. There have been a great deal of studies about hope and its effects. and In, in one study, the finding shows that hope leads to everything, but better performance in school, to more success in the workplace, to greater overall happiness. And it makes sense. When we're excited, when we think that things are going to get better, we act different. We respond different. When we're excited about what's next, we invest more in our daily lives. And, and we see beyond the current challenges that we're mired in. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Because we're going to read and look at a, a brief story It's all about hope. Mark chapter 5 We've all heard this story before. Most of us have heard this story before. Legend calls her Veronica, but the Bible doesn't really tell us what her name is. We don't know that for a fact. In in fact, she is more described by her ailment than she is by her identity because that's at this point where her identity is. She is known by her sickness. She is forever the woman with the issue of blood. She doesn't have a name because that is her identity. And in that culture, that would have been her identity, her misery, her separation, her suffering. She'd been hemorrhaging from someplace in her body for 12 years. 12 years of being exhausted, of being barely able to function, of being frail, emaciated, and anemic. This disease or a curse, as I'm sure she saw it, not only plagued her body for 12 years, it would permeate every facet of her life. According to Levitical law, this woman was considered unclean because of the issue of blood. Anything or, anything, anything or anyone that she touched would also be considered unclean. Therefore, in a small community, in a small village, you can imagine how she was treated. She was ostracized. She was pushed aside because anyone she came into contact with, direct contact would cause them to be ceremonially unclean. She couldn't mingle with people in public lest she would cause them to be unclean. She couldn't go to the women's court of the temple because she was ceremonially unclean. She couldn't worship God in public in the temple because she was ceremonially unclean. She couldn't get married because she would defile her husband. In fact, if she had been married, her husband would have been forced to divorce her. If she had children, she would be separated from those children because the blood would make them unclean. She couldn't work Because anything she touched would be now considered unclean. So you can see the place that she's at in her life. Can you imagine something so overwhelming that it separates you from your family, your friends, your community, and even your God? That's where she lives. Reduced to begging for crumbs on the fringes of society with the lepers. Because that's the only place she could have been. The Bible says that she suffered under the care of many doctors. The Talmud gives around eleven cures for a bleeding disease, and we won't go into all of them. But some of them include: take three pints of Persian onions, boil them in wine, and give this to her to drink while saying, "Arise from your flux." If that doesn't cure her, she's to hold a glass of wine in her right hand and let someone come behind her and frighten her, saying, "Arise." from your flux. I'm not making this up. If that doesn't work, she's to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in summer and a cotton bag in the winter. And if that doesn't work, you should dig seven trenches and in each burn some cuttings of a vine. And as it burns, have her sit atop each trench with a cup of wine in each hand. And, and, and uh, someone say to her, arise from your flux while she breathes in. The, the burning smoke. We could go on and on and on. There's grasshopper eggs. There's carrying around the tooth of a fox. There's carrying a corn cob from the dung of a white female donkey. I'm not making this up. You can imagine now what Mark's talking about is she had suffered under the hands of many doctors. And she's only getting worse. She spent all the money she had. So she has nothing. She's a beggar. Her sickness has named her, dominated her, and consumed her. She lives in a place with no future and no hope. And then she hears about Jesus. If you look at the passage again, you can almost see the hope in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That moment... That moment of faith, that that moment where, where faith creates hope. She'd been living in a place where there was no future. There was no hope. There was no end in sight. There was no healing, no hope of healing, no nothing. And then she heard about Jesus and everything changed because there was a glimmer of hope. See, that moment... That moment when faith creates hope is what I'm calling day 41. That's the moment when we realize that maybe there is hope. Maybe there's some way out of this. Maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe there is something in the future. For this woman, when she heard about Jesus, that was her day 41. That day that we encounter Veronica, and, or whatever her name was, and, and she is at a breaking point. She's without hope, and therefore she's without anything to lose. She has this crazy thought that finds its way in her head. If I just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. Now y'all, that's crazy. That's crazy because there's no magic cloaks that heal people. It doesn't happen. And she gets this crazy idea in her head. If I just touch his cloak, I'm going to be healed. Now, I don't know where she got that crazy idea, but it's crazy. Crazy because there's a crowd huddled around him. See, if she acts on this crazy idea, she has to go out in public. She has to push through and touch people. And you know what happens if a woman with an issue of blood touches righteous people? Well, according to Levitical law, they're supposed to throw rocks at her until she dies. So this is not just some woman reaching out. This is her risking everything. This is her putting it all on the line because of Jesus. If I just touch his cloak, maybe I'll be healed that's a crazy thought. And I submit to you this morning that those kind of crazy thoughts are not always desperation. Sometimes those crazy thoughts are the work of the Holy Spirit on your heart. And when we hear those crazy thoughts, they're easy to dismiss. It's easy to brush them aside and forget that they're there because they're crazy. And and we don't want to think about them because they're crazy because they involve some kind of huge risk. Think about the crazy ideas. Build a giant boat and put animals on it. That's not crazy at all. Maybe uh, march around the most fortified city in the world seven times and blow some horns. That's not crazy. Send a boy out to fight a seasoned warrior that stands ten feet tall and, and, and let him go out there with some rocks and a slingshot. That's not crazy a bit. See, God is the God of crazy ideas. Everywhere in Scripture, there, uh, the prophet says, douse the w- altar with more water. Put more water on it because I'm going to set it on fire. God, It's crazy. But God is the God of crazy ideas. This morning, you may have a crazy idea. There may be a crazy idea that God has put in your head that, that I, I should go ask for prayer. Or maybe you've got this idea from from what Mark said earlier, I need to reconcile with so-and-so. And, and those crazy ideas are easy to dismiss. And, and, and you say, well, it's, it's time for me to forgive this. And, and your mind is saying, well, that's crazy. Or, or you think, maybe I need to confess these burdens that I've been carrying around. And your mind says, no, that's crazy. But, but I'm telling you, those crazy ideas, those crazy thoughts are a lot of times the voice of God. It's easy to dismiss them because they require they they require a lot of risk. It's easy to look at the throng of righteous people and think I'll never fit in with that. I don't need to go through that. I don't need to go in with those people. I can't touch those people. I've got to stay out. I've got to stay away. She pushes through the crowd, and in one desperate lunge, she reaches out and she grabs the hem of Jesus' garment. The root word here is "hopto," which means to cling to. She doesn't just touch it. She grabs a hold of it. She dives through the crowd, grabs a hold of Jesus, and something miraculous happens. I don't know how it worked. The Bible doesn't tell us, but she knows immediately That she's better. And he knows that something happened. For the first time in 12 years, she feels whole. She feels healthy. She feels complete. She doesn't feel as if life is seeping out of her body like she's felt every day for the last 12 years. Her hemorrhage has stopped and she knows it. And then she hears this exchange. Jesus says, who touched me? Verse 31 You see the people crowding against you, these disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Or as the teenagers would say, seriously? For real? You see all these people and you're asking, everybody's touching you, dude. What's wrong with you? But Jesus is not distracted. He stops what he's doing. He stops where he's going. He's on his way, by the way, to help a very important religious leader with his dying daughter. But he stops. He stops what he's doing because he's looking for who touched me. And then he finds her. She's braced. She's waiting for it. She knows it's coming. Because religious leaders have not been kind to her. She's expecting fire to rain down. She's expecting some screaming and yelling. At the very least, she's expecting a stern talking to, and she's braced for it. And Jesus finds her, and he comes down to her, and you know what he does? He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. daughter this is the only time jesus calls any woman anywhere daughter ever daughter your faith has healed you you know what that had to have meant to her not just the healing but the touch the acceptance the love daughter imagine how that made her feel She can't remember the last time anyone used a term of affection directly towards her. She can't remember the last time anybody touched her. She can't remember the last time a man, any man, but but especially a religious man, really actually looked at her and saw her and not her affliction. But Jesus sees her and says, Daughter, your faith has saved you. No condemnation, no judgment, no rebuke. Jesus gives her healing. He gives her salvation. He gives her peace. He gives her freedom. He gives her hope. He gives her a future. And it's the same thing that he offers you this morning. That voice, that crazy idea, that urge that you hear in the back of your head, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit put that into you this morning. It put that voice in you that's saying, you need to do this. And it's easy to refute that and say, no, it's crazy. I can't do that. I can't do that because all the church people are going to look at me crazy. I can't do that. But if you want to find hope, if you want to find healing, if you want to find Day 41, You've got to push through the crowd. You've got to reach out and take hold of Jesus. Because when you grab a hold of Jesus, miracles happen. This morning, you have the opportunity to grab a hold of Jesus. This morning, we offer an opportunity to go with you We don't want to be the church people that are crowding around and keeping you from getting to him. We want to be the people who help you find the hope and the healing that you're looking for. This morning, he's waiting to give you that hope, the same hope that he gives her. Day 41 is a changing day. It's a day of miracles. It's a day of healing. It's a day of hope. And you have an opportunity to take a hold of that this morning. Won't you come right now while together we stand and while we sing? What can wash up? Of-